it's all about the journey for me. It's not, it's not about the money, it's about the journey, the opportunity to, to win with people that I love and, and hold close to my heart. This is Of Note, a podcast on innovation. I'm Laura McIntosh. And I'm Joseph Nother. Of Note is powered by Scribble, South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. Join us as we talk with some of the most inspirational entrepreneurs, leaders, and scientists across the state as they share their experiences with invention, growth, funding, culture, and creativity. According to new data from YouGov Omnibus, 96% of Americans eat ice cream. The most popular flavor is chocolate at 14%, followed by vanilla, 13 and butter pecan at 11 I'm sure you listeners have your own go-to pint, as well as your favorite mix of toppings. That's one place Jennifer Randall Collins, the founder of Proof Alcohol Ice Cream, and our guest today doesn't buck the trend. The first flavor she ever made was mocha chocolate moonshine. It continues to be an observation that some of the best ideas and inventions are some of the simplest. A touchscreen phone, a sticky note, the spork, bottled water, Facebook, the kind that makes you ask why didn't someone think of that sooner? As is also the case, the apparent simplicity of an idea usually hides the complexity and hard work that goes into making it appear that way. Jennifer makes it look easy, but her story isn't all wine and roses, or bourbon and ice cream. Like many who we've encountered on this podcast, she faced sobering challenges and doubts, starting with cashing out her retirement to help fund her idea and moving her family to new surroundings. The sweetest part of her story is that she's found success, but the cherry on top is that she's done it with friends and family. That same YouGov survey said that when we asked about alcohol-infused ice cream, over half of the people, 52%, said they hadn't tried it and had no interest in trying it. 35% said they hadn't tried it but would be interested, while only 8% of people said they had actually tried alcohol-infused ice cream. If you ask Jennifer, that just means there's plenty of room to grow. She'd also point out that proof ice cream is not alcohol-infused. It belongs to a brand new category, true alcohol ice cream. Here's the scoop on how she has disrupted ice cream and created a new market category. We sat down to talk with her in her buzzing manufacturing facility, where current flavors are in production and where future flavors are waiting to be discovered. My name is Jen Randall Collins, and I am the CEO of Proof Alcohol Ice Cream. So Proof is a artisan ice cream company um, that has uh, innovation around not just the ice cream sector, but also the alcohol sector. And we, um, at the end of the day, we combine two of life's greatest, greatest indulgences in the adult space with ice cream and high-end top-shelf alcohols into one product for uh, n- not, just a, not just an ice cream, but an actual experience for adults 21 and over. The challenge is that alcohol does, does not freeze at normal ice cream temperatures. So we have created 
um, this intellectual property and proprietary blend that allows us to combine um, alcohol and ice cream together, utilizing as high as 80, 90, 100 proof alcohol into our ice cream, but turning out a product that is a 7% ABV while maintaining um, mouthfeel, um, integrity in the product and how it stays together. There's no separation so that you get the same bite of alcohol in every spoonful of product that you have. If you're wondering what leads someone to this devilishly delicious idea, it's Kentucky. So I'm originally from the state of Kentucky and given the genesis of the story. So being from Kentucky, we're known for three things, bourbon, basketball, and horse racing. Uh, and I'm a fan of all three. Growing up in Kentucky, when you talk about bourbon, it's not just for drinking, um, but people put bourbon in everything. And actually, an old saying in Kentucky is we put bourbon in our bourbon. So we love it so much. So the next step to that would obviously be um, ice cream and the opportunity to develop some patents and proprietary intellectual property around this product um, so that you get a smooth, creamy texture um, with a go-to-market strategy um, across the U.S. that we're rolling out every day. Jen's journey began in Kentucky, but a college basketball career at the University of South Carolina brought her to the state for the first time. After graduating from USC, I went back to Kentucky and um, ended up starting a small political consulting firm, have two beautiful children, um, and uh, actually met an individual that was dabbling in this, in this space, putting alcohol into food products and had what I would call a, a minimally viable product. Um, I had the opportunity to get involved and take that over and create um, some food science around the product to stabilize the, the, the finished goods that you see on the shelves today. So it was many months of trial and error trying, you know, we tried product on, on finished product. We tried, we worked with ABVs as high as 25% ABV on a finished product, which was way too strong. Um, we went as low as 5% ABV on the product, uh, or no, even down to 3% ABV on the product, a little bit too weak. Um, and the, the market told us that 7% was right, right about where it's most palatable for all people and it's not too strong. But the, the process of testing that out was many, many months um, and, and, and many months of research. Because you have to remember, this is a completely new market category from a regulatory perspective where there are so many challenges and we're creating, and I say this very humbly, we're creating this new um, market category and the, the, the regulators in the states or at the federal level didn't know what to do with us initially. Um, so that, that's another hurdle that we've had to overcome in the space as, as we deal with this product. And on the note of hurdles and challenges, Jen certainly tilts towards that disruptor side of the innovation spectrum. So I define innovation as it's where opportunity meets um, disruption, if you will. So I, I view our product, we, we, we are disrupting the alcohol industry and we are disrupting the frozen dessert ice cream industry. And we're providing a solution um, a, a one-stop solution with an indulgent product that is um, 
on a high-end scale that I don't want to use any comparisons, but but it's it's an, the ultimate indulgence in the adult category when you look at those two spaces together. Ice cream with a kick. Those who know me probably think I have stocked this up at home because I love both <laughs> ice cream and bourbon and As alcohol. As I look at the cart of it across the way, yes. yeah, there's a whole cart of it. Well, but let's, but let's not get into my vices here. Let's, let's talk about what this because because shockingly enough, I have not tried this product yet, but Laura, I hear you have. I certainly have. Um, you know, it's uh, alcohol and ice cream. They are two things that you don't necessarily think are going to go together. And of course, the novelty effect, you know, Jen has figured out how to actually freeze alcohol. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, just from a taste standpoint, I would describe it as definitely alcohol first, ice cream second. Um, so, so is it like a hard ice cream? No, it's really more like your classic soft serve, like oh, yeah. Dairy Queen. DQ, yeah. Okay. Um, so if you love sort of, the, I mean, it is it is ready to eat as soon as it comes out of the freezer. There's not that sort of like, oh, I have to like chip away at it with my spoon. Or if right. you're impatient like I am, I always stick it in the microwave and defrost it, and which my husband hates. Cause it's like, you're ruining the ice cream. Like, I'm not ruining the ice cream, but I'm too impatient to wait. Wait, wait, are you putting the whole pint in there, that microwave? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm um, now, but you definitely don't need to do that with Jen's. It is ready to eat as soon as it comes out of the freezer. And, you know, it. like I said, it's really more of a, the alcohol is your first taste that you're going to get. And I hope that's actually by intent because, right. you know, that is, that's what makes her product so special is that it is an alcoholic ice cream and you're here to enjoy the flavor that it's being paired with from an ice cream standpoint. So how do you like to eat it normally? I love putting it on a big warm piece of pie personally. Okay. Um, but again, it can be enjoyed just from the carton if you're feeling really lazy in your pajamas and watching a movie. What what was your favorite flavor? So my favorite flavor still today is the bourbon caramel. But I think what's really special about, in fact, she even calls it her classic collection, is this sort of mashing of, you know, all of the flavors of ice cream you would sort of assume, like chocolate and strawberry and blackberry. But then, you know, sort of your favorite go-to alcohols like bourbon and rum and, and even moonshine and how they're all being sort of mixed and matched in these really fun and creative ways. I would emphasize if you love and have an appreciation for the taste of alcohol, you will love this. Then you will love this. And I think that's what she sort of tried to distinguish when we were talking with her, because, I, you know, we were trying to figure out, like, how first to market are you? And in, in many ways, she's like, no, I'm 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 <laughs> I'm first to market with a alcoholic ice cream. The challenge, it's certainly challenging to have this innovative product as a product itself, but as challenging or even more challenging as we create a new market category is the regulatory environment at the federal level and the state level. So in 2014, I'm living in Kentucky and I see this opportunity with this minimally viable product that we have. And I end up spending about three to four months of research, deep dive into every single state in the US because at the federal level, there, were, there was no definition, there was no direction on how to deal with a frozen alcohol food product or an alcohol food product in general. So after literally about four, I mean, four, a good four months of a deep dive on research going through regulations at the state level, 
I defined, there were two states that popped out. One was South Carolina, where there was a bakery license on the, um, on the, on the books at Department of Revenue that allowed the combination of food and alcohol in any, any strength, any ABV. The other one was uh, in New York, and it was under their agricultural department, but it capped the ABV at um, 5%. Um, because of my history with South Carolina, I cho chose to locate our corporate headquarters here, and um, the, the, the Department of Revenue, Department of Agriculture, everybody has been absolutely phenomenal to us as we create this category. And, you know, and as we've done this, it's interesting because you, you see a lot of people trying to copy us in the state, um, not just in the state, but in the U.S. Uh, as, we, as we go forward and create a new market for this product. Disruption comes with a lot of headaches. And some of those headaches are your own preconceived notions about what the product should be. This is, this is one example where I was very, very wrong. In my head, I thought this would be a bar product or a restaurant product, on premise, if you will. But when I did this proof of concept, I got two questions. One was, or two, a question and a statement. One was, you can't freeze alcohol, and then people taste the product. The second question they said was, where can I buy this at the grocery? And that clicked in my head and I said, wait a minute, this is not, I mean, we will, we are in restaurants and bars, but our, our, our main channel is the grocery channel. So it's Harris Teeter, Lowe's Foods, um, going into Publix in Florida, Walmart in Florida. Um, and that's kind of how I came to, went, went from point A to point B on the sales channel. And it was a great learning lesson because I had it in my head that it was gonna be a bar and restaurant product. And I was very, very wrong about that. And, and it's interesting. So we uh, ended up uh, partnering with UPS and um, partnering with them on a rollout for e-commerce. And that has been absolutely phenomenal. We shipped to 46 states. There are a handful of states that allow no alcohol shipments, um, primarily in the South, as you can imagine, and a, a couple of small states on the East Coast. And, We've had a tremendous response to the rollout on e-commerce. Um, and it seems like this product is really, people are utilizing it for parties. Um, they're utilizing it for celebrations. It's a very festive product that lends itself to uh, at-home consumption. So, so, yeah, so if you do, like, if you Google alcoholic ice cream or whatever, you will find that she, in theory, does have other competitors. What she would say is yes and no. From a consumer standpoint, it might look that way. But proof alcohol ice cream is the only one that has figured out from a scientific standpoint how to actually freeze the alcohol in the ice cream. The others are sort of infused with, infused with the flavor. Right. But it's not the actual alcohol. Itself. <laughs> itself. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like you know, Jen has had a, you know, yeah, every founder has their own unique hurdles, but I think she in particular has, you know, being the first to market with this kind of product, you know, some would think that she's had maybe the, the first mover advantage, but actuality, it has been an uphill battle from a regulatory standpoint. Sure. And even just from a retailers have not always necessarily known how to treat her. You know, so like, yes, you can find her in a grocery store like she talks about. But she's not in the but, so yeah, I, like ice this, cream. I was actually just, like, I, I think on Friday, I was walking through the grocery store, actually looking for it. I'd forgotten where it was. And of course, you naturally go, it's ice cream. I'm going to go up and down the ice cream aisle. 
I wasn't seeing it. I was looking for her very, yeah, very distinguishable, bright red, red color. color yeah. I was like, did they quit carrying it? Like, it says online, this is where I should be able to find it. I was a little frustrated. I even, like, I knew it was in, like, its own kiosk. And so I even, like, you know, went around the corner, like, uh, all right, well, not seeing it. Maybe they moved over to the wine section. I walked over to the wine section. I wasn't seeing it there. <laughs> so I just kind of gave up. And I should have just asked. But I gave up. And then as I was walking out, there it was by like self-checkout in its own little freezer chest. I was like, oh, yeah. Kind of like an end cap. Yeah. And so it's just so even just from like she has that extra hurdle of not only just getting in it. Like it's hard enough just getting a product on a shelf in a retailer like a grocery store. Right. That, that's hard enough. But now the grocery store doesn't know how to treat her because they obviously don't want to put her in the same ice cream area where like a five-year-old is going to pull out their favorite nutty bar or whatever it is. <laughs> But us as adults, are, you have to just know where it is. You have to be super aware of her product. Right. It's going to be hard to sort of stumble across because even it's a little ice chest, it's not at eye level. Right. You know, it's 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 like at the little ice chest you'd see at like um like a convenience store where like their ice creams are usually. So you have to really have she says so yeah just the marketing of her product. She's got to do that much more effort, and then yeah really find ways of making sure as she said you know being really corporate responsible about their product but then also still getting in the consumer's hands. Like that balance, that constant balance. Right. Um, I don't know how, she, I mean, kudos to her how she's gotten it this far along. And I, mean, I know she she talked greatly about her, her issues with uh, uh, even just from a state to state level, but I'm sure from a, from a country standpoint, uh, dealing with the uh, regulatory uh, issues with, with her product. But I, I could tell in talking with her about even the name because because I think she she recently rebranded or mm-hmm. tweaked her 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 name and 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 brand uh, and of course that that's you know sent uh, um, fireworks off in my head since that's what what I do and and I could just see her you know fighting the good fight over out over how to how to bring her product to market from the consumer standpoint right because she's got to define. Her category, she's got to define her product. She's got to define it within a category that in her sense is essentially new. So she's got sort of a twofold mandate to to define a new category as well as her own product. Uh, she, she's got to, again, to your point, figure out how to stand out on the shelf, which is super hard and super difficult. And I'm sure there's a lot of back office uh, uh, dealings with, with respect to how to get, uh, how to even get uh, um, shelf space. Uh, in a store, and then she's got to figure out basically how to be discovered, right? Even even with social media, I think a lot of people think today, oh, you know, Google, social media, targeting, hyper-targeting, uh, this is going to be very easy for me to find my audience and sell. Um, but it's not. Uh, you, you've got to be willing to spend quite a bit of money to be discovered. It's funny. I was just having that conversation with my mom over the weekend. She was talking about when to start, like, she used to have a little store. She shut it down a long time ago, way before sort of e-commerce was becoming what it is. I think eBay was, like, the most novel thing at the time. And she was like, well, well, you know, I can open up a little store online. And so I was like, mom, like, it is so much harder today than it, I almost would argue harder today than it was 10, 15 years ago, in theory, yes, there's all these tools out there to get the awareness, but content is what drives people to the product, not the product itself, unfortunately. And everyone is that sort of democratization of that accessibility is why it's so much harder. Um, Way tangent, I feel like we could talk about for forever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going back to sort of Jen in particular, I almost think from a branding standpoint, I I wish we'd asked you this because I almost feel like this red makes me think of like the ABC signs. Right. 
that you see around. Right. Um, I don't know if it's quite that vibrant because this is a, this is definitely like guys, girls. You see this at the. You cannot. It's funny. I almost missed it, but when you do see the carton, you do not miss the carton. No. It is a fire engine, beautiful red. Right. I actually came up with proof, um, and I'm not a creative, so I'm super insecure about it. But we do get compliments on it. Um, so proof is um, where you see the percentage shine in the logo speaks to the ABV and kind of that's, you know, everything about bourbon, particularly in Kentucky is well, what's the proof of that bourbon? <laughs> um, you know, is it a low proof? Is it flavored? Is it bottled in bond? So the percentage shine and proof um, is, is came from, from my growing up in Kentucky. And then on the packaging side of it, um, you know, everything in the ice cream space is very uh, bright, cheery, uh, you know, very uh, in your face with pastels. And um, I, I chose to go the opposite of that as well with the stark red. And it's actually, we own that red color. It's proof red. Um, and we're doing that because it's a way to educate the consumer um, that this product has alcohol in it. And it, it stands out on the shelf. It turns out that all of our channel partners from Harris Teeter to Lowe's Foods to Walmart, they love the red and how it stands out on the shelf. Um, and it's been, a, I feel really, really good about our packaging and what we've done with that from the perspective of education, standing out, being responsible on promotion, on promoting the product. If you're interested in the pursuit of innovation, visit us at scribblesc.com for exclusive video interviews, news from around the state, and a comprehensive list of resources to advance your ideas. That's scribblesc.com. Jennifer, much like her fiery red packaging, has the entrepreneurial fire inside of her. But her journey is one of both pushbacks and incredible support. Before I ever launched this product back in 2014, I actually remember the day, it was December 17, 2014, I talked to the leading alcohol beverage attorney in the United States to inquire about launching this product. Any advice that he could give me, could we work together? Uh, this gentleman, I won't use his name, was, uh, he was actually very pleasant, but he said his exact words were, honey, you'll never get it off the ground. There is not a market for this, and you cannot get through the regulatory, uh, the regulatory hurdles that it will provide you. So that put a fire in my soul to do everything I could to launch this product. We very much started out bootstrapping, um, and that was in the proof of concept phase, and then had um, uh, seed money from what I, you know, angel, not you know, angels, friends and family round, if you will, did that, um, and then that was in 2015, and uh, grew the company to. Um, a certain revenue point had an opportunity actually in 2018 to buy out the original investors uh, and my partner my current partner Dirk Brown and I did completed that buyout in 2018 and we currently have a small group of uh, angel investors um, that are carrying us through to our next uh, insiders round that are firmly behind the product. And I gotta tell you, it's, and behind the team, more importantly. 
Um, these folks are 100% in with us, and it's it's, it's such a, a unique investment for them. And you know, they share the journey with us as well. So it's while it is all about getting a return on your investment, we all understand that. There's a unique opportunity here to participate on a journey of creating a brand new market category that does not come around very often. So the next uh, the next three to five years is to continue to scale up. So um, we've been going state by state. We um, uh, think the next three years you'll see us grow um, into the international markets. Uh, I think that's our next big step. It's we're starting to get a lot of traction. We act actually got invited to a show um, in New York that is an international show for food buyers out of uh, Europe. Um, so that's our next step. And then uh, working certainly, hopefully, closely with the Port of Charleston to get product, um, bring more business to South Carolina while getting uh, a South Carolina certified product into the international market. When she started talking a little bit about her scale, her ambitions for how she was going to scale, I, what I did not expect for her to say was that she was going to scale internationally. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, of course, when she starts to talk about that, it, it made much more sense. She's got coconut rum, some of these other products that potentially could do very well, I would think, in South America and other markets. So, yeah, she said that she was going to scale internationally, and I guess that's made pretty possible by where she's at right? yeah i feel like anybody if a business is looking to go international jen's in a pretty lucky place considering the charleston port is literally about an hour and a half from, from her. her it's yep. it's a little bit in part why all of us locals hate driving down 26 towards charleston, charleston. because the the cargo trucks are just endless but you know the port is an amazing economic uh opportunity for businesses in South Carolina. It is one of the eighth, or I'm sorry, it is the eighth largest port um, for cargo in the U.S. You know, back in, at least that was you know, the stat from 2019. Uh, right. And then with over 75 billion in imports and exports, like, I, I, I mean, stuff's like, happening. Yeah, there. stuff's happening. And it is, it's fascinating to even, like, if you ever do go and just want to watch the activity of the port. I mean, it's, it's pretty phenomenal to think that's where most of your products have probably come through the Charleston port here in the Southeast. Yeah. I was, I think you were, someone was talking about how it, it, I mean, it literally does connect East and West too, right? They're able to get container ships through that, that can come through Panama city canal. So, so literally if you need something from China or Asia that could come through, if it's obviously going to South America, that happens and Europe, right? Yeah. They're, you are literally totally connected out of Charleston. Or even just to put even more context around that. So, all of South Carolina, the whole state is about the size of Atlanta. We're just really spread out. So, you know, <laughs> to think that one resource like the port has almost a $64 billion impact on the state. It's it's a big driver why a lot of our six uh, automotive OEMs are in the state is that accessibility to literally global markets right. easy within, you know, a lot of times, you know, the port is set up directly to rail. So the big BMW plant that's in Greenville, it's within a two and a half hour time frame that they're already on their boat and getting to where they need to be. And okay. that, I would say the size of the state is actually one of South Carolina's biggest uh, advantages is right. that you really can be to different corners and it's fairly flat, you know, quickly. It's yeah. not It's not cumbersome. Rounding out our time with Jennifer, we wanted to know where her drive comes from. Nodding to her history as a college athlete, she extended a lot of thanks to her team and her family. 
So my, my motivation comes every day from the team, from the people I've chosen to surround myself with, um, because they are sacrificing other opportunities to help me chase my dreams, and that's everything to me. Um, and then, you know, even more importantly, my children, uh, I basically uprooted my children from a very comfortable lifestyle in Lexington, Kentucky, to chase mom's dream. And they bought, they're all in, and it's incredible. So what they have been through for the last five years, I mean, I'm gonna try not to get emotional, but what they have sacrificed to help mom chase her dream, I could never repay that. Um, what I do hope to repay that is by leaving a legacy of, you know, not just financial security, but a legacy of hard work, belief in yourself, and no is never an acceptable answer. While you think building a team up around an alcoholic ice cream company would be, well, a piece of cake, Jennifer says that's not the case. You know, as you gain, as we gain more success, we, we have a lot of people that want to help us, if you will. They see the success and they see the, the rocket ship kind of shaking, if you will, and they want to get on board. Um, where I've been burned in the past is some of these folks um, that come from particularly a big corporate culture um, will want to come in and they don't understand our space because it is a new market category. So if it's somebody from Big Alcohol or it's somebody from Unilever and they come in and try to work with us, part of the issue is they don't understand both sides of the fence where we are creating this market category and it's not a good fit. It's not their fault, don't get me wrong, but there are adjustments that have to be made that are unique to our product and how we market and how we sell it. Um, so that, that's a big thing. And then, and then the other thing is, you know, I've been told this for the last five years, you know, um, hire slowly, fire quickly. So if somebody's not a good fit, um, that's okay, because we're not for everybody. That's one of my mottos. We are not for everybody. This product is not for everybody. Um, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But making sure we're getting the right people on the team in the right seats on the bus is crucial to our next round of growth. I'm still trying to figure out how to find the right people. It's, again, it's trial and error. But, but when, 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 when we interview people, the, the very first thing I say to folks is, why the heck do you wanna do this? This is gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. We are growing rapidly. Um, yes, the opportunity is great. Are you prepared to work 14 to 15 hours a day, seven days a week until we get to the scale that we need to be? And if that answer is yes, and they're passionate about it, then we go through their skill sets. Um, you know, everybody, everybody has a skill set that they're good at. What I'm more um, looking for when hiring somebody, I'm looking for passion, I'm looking for dedication, leadership, and, and most importantly, teamwork and integrity. Um, those things are absolutely crucial. And I tell our employees, or, and I actually I call them team members, our team members every day, if you're working with me and with our company, we want you living your best life while you're doing this because you're helping us chase our dreams. And we want you to be a part of that. So it's very important that you're in a mindset that you're excited to come produce ice cream. You're excited to deliver to the customer. You're excited to promote this on social media. 
Um, we want people living their best lives while doing this, and we're all having a really fun time together as we go to this. Now, with that being said, you know, we fight like family members, like anybody, but the key to that is, you know, the ability to agree to disagree, but get on board with the decision of the executive team and support it 100%. And I think we have that culture. Um, and when somebody is outside of that culture, that's when we have to make hard decisions to, to turn them loose and let them go. Now, up to 30 team members, Jennifer is all eyes on what's next, but she's still got time to look back, reflect, and share her experience and advice with other entrepreneurs. My piece of advice to any entrepreneur, because um, I'm an older entrepreneur, would be to um, persevere. It's not, um, it's not easy, but if you're passionate about your project or your product and what you're doing, um, there's so much satisfaction in a job well done. Um, I fail every day. There are days that I go to bed at night and I'm just grateful that for the very basics, I have a roof over my head, my kids are healthy. There are days I go to bed and I'm like, oh wow, we're rolling out to 350 Walmarts in Florida. It's been a great day, I'm thankful for that too. So it's just kind of ride the waves of the ups and downs. Um, my advice is celebrate the ups as much as you can, enjoy those moments, and, but don't get so down on yourself when things don't go well. So have a, a bit of a balance, although I'm not sure I believe in balance in what we do, um, but, but that's part of the journey as well. My name is Jen Randall Collins, and those were my notes on innovation. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review. Join us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Scribble Innovation. And don't forget, sign up for our newsletters. Special thanks to my co-host, Laura McIntosh, the Managing Director of the South Carolina Department of Commerce's Office of Innovation. I'm Joseph Nuther, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopFizz. Additional thanks to our team, producer and editor, Hunter Foster, sound engineers, Mike Deering and Samuel Thomas, Original music by Matt Honkinen, with additional support from Tia Nelson, Sarah Plemons, Ronnie Wilson, Robin Hendricks, and Lexi Williams. Next time on Of Note. You know, it's 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 been almost two decades since the human genome, uh, the first release of the human genome, came out, and and with that came this promise that, um, you know, in a few years there'd be an answer for all, we'd have a treatment for every disease, and and I think what we learned very quickly is the sort of book of life that has all this information, we don't understand the information in it. 